Welcome to Safe Travels. I'm your host, Damian Tisdall. The Safe Travels podcast is all about finding expert advice for worry-free travel, so you can sit back and relax and enjoy your trip. In this show, we're going to be talking about RV travel as a safer alternative during coronavirus. Many people are avoiding traditional travel plans like cruise ships, airplanes, hotels, resorts, and many are thinking of an RV road trip and how it might be better for social distancing. I'm going to be joined by Mark and Julie Bennett of RVLove.com which is an amazing resource. They are creating all sorts of helpful and entertaining content about RV travel. They are also the authors of a book called Living the RV Life, Your Ultimate Guide to Life on the Road. In the show, we will discuss the benefits of RV travel during these social distancing times. They'll have insights into some of the safety procedures that campgrounds are implementing. They have lots of advice for new RVers or those who are thinking about it, including selecting an RV, buying versus renting, first-timer mistakes to avoid, and more. Show notes, transcript, links, all of that stuff will be available. To find it, just visit our Twitter feed. The handle is safetravelsfm, and you will get links to all of that stuff. So please enjoy this talk with Mark and Julie Bennett of RVLove.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Would you mind just giving a little overview of what it is that you do, who you are, where you are, and your area of expertise? Sure. Well, we're Julie and Mark Bennett, and we're full-time RVs and have been on the road now living, working, and traveling from our motor home almost six years. So we hit the road in 2014. And in that time, we've traveled all 50 USA states, Canada, Mexico, all while working full time. And in that time, we've been sharing along the way in our journey at our website, rvlove.com. We create YouTube videos at our YouTube channel, share on social media. And we also have a book that uh, we published uh, with Simon & Schuster, Living the RV Life, Your Ultimate Guide to Life on the Road and Run an Online School. So we keep pretty busy (laughs) working on the road, creating lots of uh, information and resources that uh, we wish had been out there when we got started on the road. Yes, from looking at your website, a lot of great information. It was really fun to look at, and I can tell how much work you've been putting into all of that. And you're on the road now, I assume, right? We are. We're actually in our original home state of Colorado. We're at a campground called Garden of the Gods RV Resort in Colorado Springs. It's a little south of the main Denver metro area. And we specifically chose this area because it's a really, we stayed here a few times and it's a really nice area that we knew would be comfortable staying this time of year for extended periods during this uh, COVID pandemic. So when the pandemic started, were you not there? Or did you head there specifically? <laughs> when this all first started, it's actually pretty funny. When this first started, we were out in the middle of the Arizona desert, southwestern Arizona, near a town called Quartzite. And we were actually camping off grid using our onboard water tanks and solar power and just out in the middle of the desert. And uh, had we not been watching the news, we wouldn't even know anything was going on because we were just out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, of course, we couldn't avoid the news. And so we, they said just shelter in place. So we just stayed there for a few more weeks, just replenishing water every couple of weeks. But then as the temperature started to rise and as the situation looked like it was going to continue to extend for a couple more months, we decided this is not going to work because out in the middle of the desert, the temperatures were going to be quickly getting up over 100 degrees. And that's not very comfortable in an RV, especially without electric hookups to run air conditioners. So we decided to hightail it to Colorado. And that was actually a big decision for us because we didn't want to set a bad example of traveling during the stay at home and stay in place orders. But, you know, we were in a situation where we kind of needed to make a move. And so we did. We made, there was not a tourist trip, though. It was a very focused 
two days, we, you know, 950 miles in two days, we drove up here to be able to get planted and know we were going to stay here for a solid two months once we arrived. It's interesting because you say a stay at home order. Technically you were staying at home. You were just moving your home. Exactly. <laughs> That's one of the unique things about an RV is that you're always home wherever you go, uh, especially as a full-timer. And you've been doing this six years, which is quite a while. That's quite an undertaking. How did this all start for you? Is there a story there? Yeah. When we first started this, one of our primary motivators was just to be able to see more and experience more with the limited time off you have from work. I had traveled a fair bit with work over the years, but it's just business travel where you fly in, you stay in a hotel, you do business meetings, you fly home. You don't really see a lot. And my wife, when you hear her talk, you might pick up she's Australian. And when we <laughs> when we went back to Australia to visit a lot of her family, I noticed a lot of her family and friends had actually seen more of the United States than I had. And I thought, well, that's not right. And uh, <laughs> so we started looking at ways we could have more experiences. And uh, with today's technology, with cellular connectivity, you can get really good internet speeds. And so over the years, I tried to get a job I could do from home. And once I had a job I could do from home, then we could have the secondary question of what is home and redefining that. And so we bought an RV. We wanted to travel with our dog and travel all around the country and have a stable environment to do my work. So we hit the road. And the first three years on the road, I had my regular job. I've working remote for a company out of Texas. And then three years into it, our hobby side business, I guess, had grown to a point that it was unsustainable after hours and for Julie to do full time. And so we made the leap of faith to both work on it full time. And I left my regular job. And now the last three years, we've been working full time together on our own RV Love. It sounds like a very deliberate decision as you were looking for work that would allow you to do this. So one of my questions was, if it was scary to go full time, but it sounds like you planned from the get go to go into full time RV. It was still scary because anytime you're making a big life change, especially leaving a, you know, quote, normal, unquote, life, uh, you know, literally driving off into the sunset to live in a home on wheels, it, it is still scary. We did do, we tend to be planners. We owned our town home. Mike had a job, but he, he had very deliberately planned to change his job from an office job near our home to a remote job because even though he technically could have done his previous job from home, it was a more traditional older school company that wasn't open to that concept. So the first step was finding a job that he could do remotely. And once he found that, that's when it really started. But we probably spent a solid nine months planning, Mm. you know, researching. The first thing we looked into, Damien, was internet connectivity. And, you know, let's not even look at RVs until we know we can get good enough internet to work from the road. And, you know, when we first started, we thought you had to have satellite. But, of course, you don't. Cellular technologies um, advanced so well that that really answered our first question. But we planned solidly, downsized, sold our home. It took about nine months. And there was still a lot to learn even after yes. we got on the road and things that we didn't expect too, some emotional transition. And there is a lot to learn. It's a very different lifestyle, but it's one that we've really enjoyed and embraced. And I'd love to ask you about the main topic that we got in touch about, which is coronavirus that's going on right mm-hmm. now. A lot of the country's been in you know, various stages of lockdown for a couple months now. And I know a lot of people are looking towards RV travel as an alternative, as they're looking at flights that aren't happening or cruises that might not be happening. We got in touch to discuss whether RV travel is a good alternative to coronavirus as far as social distancing and a lot of those concerns. So what would your opinion be? Is RVing a safe way to travel while social distancing? 
I think it's fantastic for social distancing and because it's like we alluded to early on, it's your home. It's your home on wheels. Everywhere you go, you have a fully self-contained environment. You know, you have your entire kitchen, all of your food, you have your own bed, your own linens, you have the entire history of every item in your RV. So when you go to traditional types of travel, there's so much exposure risk. You know, you go get to an airport, there's touch points everywhere. I'm, I'm a lifetime germaphobe. And so this, I think I've, I have a lifetime of training to prepare me for this type of situation. But uh, I'm, Julie and I've been joking about that. But, you know, when traditional travel, you there's so many touch points, whether it's rental cars or the airplanes, or when you get to a hotel, if you might be in a high rise hotel that has a central HVAC system. So the, all the, even the air is shared and the elevator is shared and every pillows this, and mattresses, pillows, mattresses, everything. Yeah. Whereas, like I said, in an RV, everything's controlled and contained. And even when you arrive at a campground, you still don't even need to have any contact with anybody. You can pull into your RV site. You know, if, if the campground has an online check-in, you could potentially pull into your site, hook up to utilities for water and electric and never have contact with any person. So you say that you can check into a lot of these places without contact. Is that an unusual thing? Is that a change since coronavirus started? Yeah, it's... Or was that always... It's definitely what when this all started to happen back in March... And, you know, nobody's been through this before. This is unprecedented. And there were a lot. There was a lot of confusion for a lot of campgrounds too because many were being closed down by states, you know, national and state uh, park campgrounds were the first to close, being uh, federal government. But private campgrounds, you know, states and even local counties were issuing orders for them to close. And then some of them had to fight really to be able to be reopened again on the basis that they have year-round or seasonal residents or they have full-timers like us that are there and have nowhere else to go. And so they were having to very quickly modify a lot of their protocols to have safe check-in for guests. So you could book online or by phone and pay over the phone with your credit card and then you get your packet that's waiting out for you when you arrive or they just tell you what site to pull into and so you don't you really don't need to speak to you know once upon a time we would go into a campground office and we'd go chat to them and they'd check us in but it's really not necessary because when you arrive at a campground after hours for example it's very common for campgrounds to have an after hours check-in area so if you come in when the office is closed you can just see what sites are available go and get yourself set up and go down and sort out your payment in the morning so I think it the system was already there, but probably really being not really being used, and now they're being forced to. And we think this is going to continue for a long time. I think this is changing a lot of things for a lot of people. And as guests, we just well, why why do we need to go in and check in? We don't mm-hmm. want to. So I think you know everyone's been forced into it, but it's not a bad thing because we can we can very easily make it all happen on both sides. Well, and something Julie touched on there too is that when a lot of these RV parks started fighting back with the governments that were trying to shut them down because they're looking at them as travel and weekending and, you know, recreational stuff is that a lot of these campgrounds are essential services. They provide Mm -hmm. housing year round for a lot of their guests and also for people like us that are full time, but they also have stores on site that sell groceries or propane on board. And that's what helped them requalify as essential services. And that's why you see so many of them open around the country. And just to add to that too, a lot of medical personnel, people in construction, frontline workers, a lot of traveling doctors, traveling nurses, and people that are actually on the front lines helping with this situation, they need housing and accommodations as well. So being able to keep the campgrounds open is really important. It's great to hear that they've been so 
helpful in adapting some of their procedures to accommodate you as far as the campgrounds go. But then otherwise on the road, how much contact is necessary as you're moving about? Well, very little as you're moving about, especially if you have an RV like us. We have a what's called a Class A RV, which is the ones that look like big buses. And then we tow a vehicle behind it, but we have really large fuel tanks. And so we can go multiple states without filling. So the number of times we need to fill our tanks at a gas station or have any contact with anyone is really low. If we stop to take a break, we're still in our RV. If we stop to get fuel, all I do is get fuel and then keep going. And a lot of it's pay at the pump and you can disinfect the pump. So right. you had gloves and a mask and you had your sanitizer. It's it was really just... easy. I mean, the mm-hmm. only exposure we have with people pretty much is going to the grocery store. And and I think that's what's interesting, too, is people think of people who travel around. We, we have other people think of us as transient people that are all out and about doing things. But Julie and I work full time from our RV. So you know, as I alluded to early in the call, how when we were in the desert, we wouldn't have known is because our normal life was not disrupted. We are in our RV working and then we go for walks, but we're not driving to and from work. You know, we have a lot of family and friends who have jobs that they continue to commute to work and their exposure rate is far higher than ours is as an RVer. And we've even been able to get groceries delivered to our RV at our campsite. Mm -hmm. So we don't even have to go out to the store. Uh, Or if we do, just one of us, one Mm -hmm. of us will go. But even when we stop for fuel on the way, we don't have to use public restrooms. We have our own bathroom on board. We don't have to go in and buy any of the food and get a snack because we have that all on board. So Mm -hmm. they're all huge benefits that I think even people that are thinking about doing road trips instead of cruises or air travel or train travel or bus travel, the great thing about an RV is that you don't have to go into other places like... Um, yeah, you're fully self-sufficient fully all the time. self-contained. Yes, from a social distancing standpoint, it sounds perfect. But are there other considerations that people should take if they're going to try something like this as far as safety or extra precautions they might take? Well, I think we're all well-trained to know that we need to wash our hands and <laughs> hand sanitizer, gloves, mask, that kind of thing. But, but, you know, I think in terms of planning for a trip, you know, plan and fill up, you know, specifically with an RV we're talking about here, fill up the fridge and, you know, your pantry first so that you're not having to stop multiple times on your trip. You know, I think the less opportunities you need to go out and do things, you know, I think when we're out on RV trips or vacations, we like to eat out a lot. You know, mm-hmm. we like to go to cafes and restaurants. We like to support the local communities that we visit. And we would still like to do that. But we have to balance that with, well, what feels safe for us. In fact, last night, Damien, we got a pizza takeout. We we rolled up in the parking lot. We ordered it over the phone. They actually brought it out to our Jeep. And then we took it into the Garden of the Gods Park and ate it last night. And that's the first time we've eaten any food that hasn't been prepared by ourselves in over two over months. Over two months. Mm-hmm. Over two months. And, and, you know, that, that thought goes through. It's like, is it going to be okay? But we felt we felt comfortable with, with the place. But, you know, I think people need to be thinking about that more is, you know, how can I avoid as many touch points as possible? Well, and that was actually a factor for us when we were relocating. I mentioned to you you earlier is that we wanted to reduce any potential impact on society by having anything go wrong. You know, if we had a mechanical breakdown or something, that was a concern for us. We didn't want to have to put additional load or strain on the systems. And to Julie's point with you're getting prepped for your trip is just make sure you check over your RV and make sure everything's in good working order before you hit the road. If you're going to, especially if you're going to go on a longer trip, but I think that's important to do, you know, check your tire pressure, check your mechanicals and, 
give a good once over and make sure there's no leaks or anything that's going to require a service during your trip. Because one, it's an interruption to your enjoyment on your travels, but it also it's putting additional strains on system and additional contacts as well. I think that's all very helpful for those that are considering RV travel as some sort of alternative for the summer or even in the future. I'd love to just ask for some general travel advice. The show is about helping people enjoy worry-free travel. And I think with your extensive experience, you mentioned six years on the road full-time, all the states, most national parks, and you're producing a lot of content. So you really have a lot of experience in this. And I bet you can provide some additional tips. Maybe it's first timers or people that have done a little bit, but what would be some essential tips that you can offer? Oh, it's such a huge topic. <laughs> That's why we wrote a book about it. But I think one of the first things, you know, we normally would recommend people look into renting if they don't already own one. We often would recommend people look into renting one before they buy one. In this environment, this changed environment, there's been a lot of people that have additional reservations about it because those rentals are more similar to traditional travel in that they're a shared unit. But, you know, if you check with the rental agency and if they have good protocols around safety, and then you could probably can still consider renting. But, you know, as far as buying, we often recommend don't buy without having done some homework and some research, because there's a lot of different choices out there. And if you do your homework, it can be really a great fit for you. But if you make a really rash or emotional decision, you might end up being an expensive one. Because it's it's not ex- inexpensive to get into the lifestyle if you're purchasing because they do have some depreciation, just like cars. And they're not like houses in that they don't appreciate in value, but they're more like cars in their value depreciation. But they're also not quite like cars in that they even a brand new unit's often going to have a few things to work out, little bugs to work out to get it in full operating order. On the topic of buying or, or even renting, do you have brands that you recommend that are generally better than others? Well, that's another really complex topic. And, you know, in cars, there's maybe two dozen popular brands. In RV space, there's hundreds of over the, over the years. And there's such a wide variance between the quality of one. And, well, I think one of the biggest pieces of advice we give people is to be clear on your why, is why you're going to be getting into RVing. If you're going to be doing a few weekends here and there, you're not going to invest nearly as heavily as if you're someone like us who's going to be living in it full time. And you have very different needs if you're going to spend weeks, months, or years in an RV, then if you're just going to be spending a few days. So as far as when someone asks us about a specific brand, first, we'd need to narrow down the type. And even after narrowing down the type, we'd have to ask them a lot of questions about how they plan on using it before we'd make a recommendation. And even the year model, because over the years, Damien, like certain brands that were around years ago might be out of business now. Like, for example, we have a country coach. They went out of, they were one of the known as one of the best uh, motorhome builders ever, but they went out of business in 2009, as many manufacturers did. And so that's not a brand that's available today but it's still a great quality motorhome. Now, on that same topic, some of the brands out there that, you know, were considered to be good brands back in the day when they went out of business in 08, 09 and been bought out by other companies. So even though it's the same name to maybe a new person would think, well, okay, that's a Monaco or that's a Fleetwood. I'm using that as an example because that's a very different company now than what it was 10 or 15 years ago mm-hmm. so it's that's why the brand the brand conversation is it's put it this way it's a lot bigger conversation than a right. podcast. that's why we have a book and an online school is because these conversations and these topics can be really complex for people who to get into them for yeah. 
you know, for long term and higher higher investments. And you can spend as little as five thousand dollars on an RV, and we can spend as much as two million dollars on an RV. Right. That's very helpful because I had no idea that there were that many brands. So there it really makes it hard to narrow anything down. And also things like some brands will manufacture travel trailers and motorhomes and high-end motorhomes and low-end travel trailers. So even though they may technically be the same brand, they're very different. You cannot compare them. This is not apples and apples and it's right. Mm-hmm. So, but there are great resources out there. There are some great guides that you can buy that really do drill down a very deep level of the different types, whether it's towables, you know, the ones you can tow behind a truck. or Which is, by the way, the vast majority of RVs on the road are towables. They're trailers that you tow behind the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably 85% of all RVs out there are in that category. Yeah, and of the 15% that are motorized, we're in the Class A, which are the bigger ones. That's the much smaller percentage. You'll see a lot more people in your Class Bs and your vans or your Class Cs, which are typically the ones with the, the cab over the front driving area and that you'll often see the rentals out there. They're mostly class C's and they're much easier to drive for people because it's like getting out of a car. It feels more similar mm-hmm. to drive more familiar. And so it's probably why you see more of those as rentals, but I got a little off track there, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it's with the whole brand thing. I think once people start realizing what kind of, narrowing down what kind of RV they want, then then you start digging deeper into brands. And it also comes down to your budget and how you plan to use it because there's no point getting an expensive top-of-the-line Class C RV for if you've got four kids and you're going on family vacations down by the river. You know, it's going to get wrecked. <laughs> These things are not built to last unless they have some of the, the higher end that are designed for longer term or full-time living. They're just not designed for that. And so, uh, pros and cons to every pros style. and cons to everything. I'm sure with your experience, you have seen a lot of people new to RVing make mistakes and mm-hmm. mishaps. How can you help people that are new to this avoid those? Well, that is a great question. Definitely lots of homework and research. I think one of the things that people need to realize is driving an RV is not at all like driving a car in the sense that you really have to think about things like speed. If you're driving and you're just putting it into Google Maps where you're going, you get it to 70 mile an hour road, that's not a good idea in an RV because the tires are usually not rated for speed. Also, once you load all your gear in it, all your food, all your drinks, all your family and your pets and your clothes and all the gear and toys you want to take with you, RV weight is a really important consideration. Yeah, and you need to be really mindful of that because over 50% of RVs on the road are actually overweight on some measure, whether that's tire weight, axle weight, or total weight. And so you need to be, you know, again, educated to be doing this safely. That's why we really recommend people do their research before they get into it big. But we don't want to scare people away either because it can be, once you do an initial level of research, you can do this really safely and, and confidently and have a lot of enjoyment from it for sure. And, uh, you know, she was speaking of the speeds. That's another factor too, is that your fuel economy plummets because these are not like a, a Tesla or a really fancy car that's really slipstream through the air. Um, like these are like driving a loaf of bread down the road sometimes. So they're not very fuel efficient. So the faster you drive, the lower your fuel gets. But, you know, on that fuel topic, I also want to make the point that you don't spend as much in fuel as some people think, you know, especially as full timers like Julie and I, you know, six years on the road. People are often surprised that we only put maybe 8,000 miles a year on an RV and that's traveling to 20 or 30 different states in a year. And it's because we don't have to go there and back. And so when people look at the RVs as being these really gas guzzling expensive vehicles to go travel in. We actually spend less money in fuel 
than our other families and friends who have jobs that they commute to and from. So we spend a surprisingly low amount on fuel on an annual basis. And we stay under 60 because when we drive our RV over 60, it's just the, the aerodynamics, just a mileage drops yeah. like a stone. So uh, we always just uh, take our time getting anywhere we go. You mentioned the misconception about the fuel usage and some of the costs there. What other myths are there about RVing that you can help dispel? Well, there's a few. I think another one is that it's, we we get, this is a really interesting misconception actually, because we see it on both ends of the spectrum. There are some people who have the view of RVers as only the wealthy that, that can be doing this because they're doing it on top of their other regular lifestyle. And it's a luxury item. And it doesn't have to be only the wealthy. And it's, what's really interesting about that is we also see that on the opposite end of the spectrum is that the only people who do any extensive time in an RV are the people who don't have any money, don't have enough money for a regular home. And so it's in between. It's both and it's in between. We have people who do get into this lifestyle as a matter of necessity because you can live in this lifestyle less expensively than a traditional housing. But we also see people on the far other end of this that have enormous wealth and are doing it just for fun. And I would add to that, that RVing isn't just for retired people because once upon a time, I think that's how people thought of RVing. It's like, well, that's what your grandparents do. Now more than ever, you've got people from all ages of life stages buying or renting RVs and you know people like us for example we can work remotely with a good internet connection and scenic views outside our window everywhere we go if you have a family you can road school your kids we know solo travelers we met a lot of solo women travelers actually a lot Mm. of them over 60 all ages but amazed and inspired by the number of 60 plus year old women who are just saying you know what I always wanted to do this I'm going to go do it we even know some women whose husbands aren't into it and they're like I'd rather stay at home and they go out and do it anyway without him and it's really inspiring you know solo travelers couples families and people anywhere from their 20s uh, all the way up to 80s even we've even heard of a couple in their 90s they may not travel as far these days but you know there is really is for everyone now and now with social media there's so much more awareness about RVing with what's happened with the pandemic everyone's thinking about new ways to travel people are thinking well maybe an RV and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how many more people do hit the road in an RV in the next year ahead. Yeah, we're very optimistic about it. We really see that there's going to be a new awareness and of this lifestyle, then people are going to be seeing how good it can be. Finally, do you have some sort of big idea, piece of advice that you can share to people that are looking at RV travel? Get out there and do it. If you've been thinking about it, and we meet so many people that say to us, you're living my dream. And I think it's so easy for us to put our dreams off waiting until when this happens, if this happens. And I think what we're all learning from this pandemic is that, you know what, life doesn't slow down and wait for anybody. It's uh, You've got to just make your own decisions about what's right for you. If you've been putting this decision off, you know, what for? What are you waiting for? This is hands down going to be the best, the safest way to travel, get outdoors, still practice social distancing, still be safe, still get out and enjoy time with your family and with your loved ones and see so much to see in this country. I think we've been full-time six years and we've traveled to all 50 states and we still feel like we've just scratched the surface. But beyond just travel, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the call is that you might, there might be a lot of new opportunities for people to look at this as a lifestyle, not just a temporary travel in that with this pandemic, there's been so many companies who've been forced into the arena of letting their employees work from home and that there's 
comp- there's thousands, if not hundreds of, or even millions of people that had never had the opportunity to work from home. And now if they like that, and if companies are deciding, well, even when we do come back on board, we're not going to have as many people come on back into the office because they want social distancing or because they've realized they don't need to have as much real estate that the company's paying for. They'd rather have employees from home. This is a huge rebirth and opportunity for people to reevaluate how they live their lives in a longer and larger scale. And I think there's going to be an increased interest in people working remotely, whether that's from an RV or from a town that's not in the big city. That's great advice. After coronavirus winds down, I'm sure there's some sort of bucket list item that you haven't been to yet. What's the next destination? Well, you know, what's funny and quite ironic is we last had a home in Colorado before we hit the road and Mark spent his entire life growing up, living here in Colorado till we hit the road. And it's one of our favorite states and we're we're back here now, but so often we're here visiting family in the Denver, Boulder metro area that we actually haven't been and explored many of the other parts of Colorado just to, I mean, there's so much beauty here. There is. And having lived here most of my life, having a traditional home, most of my trips up into the mountain communities or some of the others more more rural areas were short trips. They would be a, a day trip for, for skiing or a, maybe even a weekend trip for a mountain biking trip. But now with the RV, we can actually plant our RV in a different area and actually really immerse in that community and feel what it's like to live there. And so this is a new opportunity for us to spend extensive time, a whole summer here, traveling around to different regions of the state that uh, we haven't done before. Crazy, yeah. cra- as crazy <laughs> as that is, you know, after all these years, we've spent surprisingly little time in the outside of the metro area. And, and the, the time that we have spent here has been a lot of time catching up with family and friends. But because of what's happening with the pandemic, people are bit more gun shy about going out and doing social things so we may see some family and friends when things lighten up and take precautions but I just don't think it's going to be as social a time for us as it has been in the past so it's Mm -hmm. been more about in the past it's been about coming back to Colorado to see the people and this probably is going to be for the summer we get to make it about the places that Mm -hmm. we can see so yeah we're excited about that there are some great places here in Colorado that we can uh, stay in RV parks and resorts like we are right now here in Colorado Springs or to be able to camp off grid there are some great areas out of the cities of course where we can just camp off grid with our solar panels and our lithium batteries and our big tanks and just hang out there in the middle of nature and that's true social isolation that's right (laughs) commune Mm -hmm. with nature I don't think that's very uncommon. I think a lot of times it's what's in your own backyard that you kind of miss. So I think you have a a fine plan there. So where would you like people to find you online? Where where can they find some of your work? Sure. We'd love everyone to come over and visit us at rvlove.com and you can sign up and get our email updates and tips on RV life. And we're all over social media. So pretty much if you type in RV love, you can get to all of our links from our website. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, and our books on Amazon and all good bookstores, Living the RV Life. So pretty much if you type in RV Love, we'll pop up somewhere, but the website's always the best place to go. Mark and Julie, thank you very much for joining today. It's been very helpful. A lot of great insights. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Damon. Thank you. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation today. Remember, there will be show notes and links. You can find links to show notes from our Twitter page. Our Twitter handle is Safe Travels FM. I have a small favor to ask. This is a new show, and so far, feedback has been great, but we could use a good boost. There are a lot of ways that you can help. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast player app. You can rate us on the Apple Podcast app. You can share it with friends. You can share it to social media. All of these things would help. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. Safe travels.